Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Andreas. I'm not going to act like we didn't just talk off air. Um, but please, for everyone out there listening, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Andreas Kafesis. I'm a lecturer at Imperial College London. Uh, my specialty, I guess I'd say, is that I, I like to de- make materials that use sunlight to do useful things. That's essentially what I do. That's really beautiful, the way you put that. Can you explain to me how you use sunlight to make materials? Well, so we don't use sunlight to make the materials, but we, we make materials that use the sunlight to do useful stuff, right? So for example, we make these things called photocatalysts. And these photocatalysts, they absorb sunlight and they use that energy to drive useful chemistry. So one technology we're developing are um, air purifying windows. So we have a window material, we put a thin coating of a photocatalyst on that window and it still functions as a window. You can still see through it, but at the same time, it's absorbing the UV part of sunlight and it's using that energy to create these radicals that destroy toxins in the air. So like VOCs, you've heard about these things, NOx gas. So these things that you get mostly in the cities where there's a lot of traffic and emissions, you're purifying the air very passively on your building. That's just one thing that we do. We, we do other stuff too, but that's just one example. Now, is your kind of goal with doing this type of research and kind of in create, I guess the idea of creating this technology, is it more about making, I guess, lives that um, at least healthier in a sense of making them more like, cause I've talked to people about particle and, you know, from dust and metals and so many contaminants and ways to reduce that. And I've, talk to a guy who studies like birth defects that are happening that you can link to especially cognition uh disorders that are coming up in younger kids now because of a lot of these exposure to chemicals and stuff like who knew you weren't supposed to pump gas when you were pregnant you know i don't know um but there's just a lot of like you start to realize the world is kind of risky and i actually reached out to you about um solar energy and other aspects of things as well too because the climate topic like i said i want to boil it past is the planet warming or not i just want to get to how are we going to be able to make our lives healthier and better because in the direction that we're heading, you can look at any health data chart that'll show you that no, right now, I mean, Americans are dealing with a lot of issues. There's a lot more people with gastrointestinal diseases. There's a lot more people with issues with fertility. There's a lot more people with issues with um, mental disorders and all these types of things. And you start to realize that maybe it might not be the situation in your home, but it also might be the situation in the town that you live, the situation in the city that you live, the situation in the state that you live. And then we can just start suggesting ways of being able to implement technology. I always talk about if we talk about renewable energy, I don't think it's going to be one answer. I think it's going to be a combination of multiple. And I think that would probably depend on where you live. You know, if you live in like a mountain area or you live in Arizona, it's probably best to have solar power. Um, You're not going to have hydro. And I think these are all conversations that need to be had in the world. Um, And the topic needs to boil farther than what I've seen um, when it just comes to the planet warming or not. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, we spoke off air about this. Yeah, I think we need to move past that. The scientists are almost unanimous in their agreement that you know the Earth is warming, and it's their job. I, I'm not. That's not my particular area of expertise. My area is more uh, developing technologies that are useful. But those that actually study the climate science, um, those that understand weather patterns, those that understand the history, um, it's their job. They've made it their life career to do so. And when they start publishing these reports, where hundreds of scientists from all over the world have come, come together and produce this in, inter, you know, intergovernmental panel on climate change, produce these reports saying that the earth is warming, we need to restrict warming, that we need to trust the scientists and not trust you know, someone who has influence that just puts one sentence on Twitter. You know, We need to trust those people, it's their job, and they've dedicated their lives, it's their expertise, it's their know-how, their training, trust what they say. Um, so this is the problem, I think, with society. We take too much what is said at first glance as, as fact, and we need, to, we need to be digging a bit deeper, right? We need to just not just take everything at face value. We need to be scientific ourselves and, and search for the truth and read around a topic before we make a decision on anything. Now, when it comes to the creation you just mentioned before about putting this, um, I'm going to pronounce it. You said photo. I, I'm going to pronounce it wrong again. Can you, can you, what, is it, what is the term for it? The photocatalyst. Photocatalyst. When, now, when you put this on, uh, you're saying you're going to apply it to a window, and on that window, it can actually dissipate or get rid of some of these harsh contaminants that might be in our air. And is it, would it be inside of our house, or would it just be like, so someone could have a window open? Would it just be like a screen? It could be either, right? So, so some people say it depends on your habits in the home. That the pollution in your home could be worse than outdoors. You know, if you're doing a lot of cooking, for example, in your home, at those temperatures where you have your your you know, your fire cooking device and the oils that you use, you could be liberating more pollution in your home than is actually happening outside of the home. It's at these high temperatures that you produce these these toxins, for example, such as NOx. So you've probably heard about NOx a lot in the news. Oh, NOx pollution is really bad for the health. It affects every single organ. You mentioned earlier about mental health. Even NOx affects you mentally. And people going in to work in cities, they suffer from this syndrome from working in the city because of the NOx pollution they're breathing in. It actually makes them depressed. And, you know, some cities are so bad that you go, you work there for a day, you come home, you read a newspaper, it says, you know, the pollution is so bad that it's like you just smoked a pack of cigarettes just by going in, working into that city. For New one York day. especially, there's a study that came out about brake dust, um, the number of cars that barely go and then stop and go and stop and go and stop. People were inhaling that. And also, it doesn't help that they were smoking cigarettes on top of it, but that stuff can coat your lungs as well, too. Definitely. There's lots of health implications. So you mentioned earlier, what is my goal as a scientist? My goal is just to, to make a positive impact, okay? I, I have, you know, I, lucky enough, I had training in, in how to develop these materials that use sunlight because I had an innate interest from early age. I was always fascinated by sunlight and, and its uses because I, you know, I heard early on, you know, su sunlight is the largest source of renewable energy. And when I started to read into it, I realized it's, by a long shot, by like a, a million miles, it's the biggest source of renewable energy we have. So if you think about the two leading technologies, besides for hydroelectric, which is very geospecific and is currently the leading 
renewable energy producer in the world. But if we talk about the other types like wind and solar, wind doesn't even come close. The amount of wind energy we have on the planet is not no, nowhere close to the amount of solar energy. Here's a fun fact, right? But the amount of sunlight that hits the earth in just one hour, that's enough energy to power our planet for an entire year easily, just one hour. But we're not, we're not using that massive resource, right? Most of that energy is just hitting dry land or the ocean and doing nothing, right? But if we could actually develop technologies that could harvest that solar energy, we could meet our requirements, our energy requirements in a, in a sustainable and environmentally friendly way. It's possible. We just need to start putting the infrastructure in place. We have a lot of the technologies that are needed to do that. We all know about solar panels already. They're amazing. And in the past 20 years, the price of solar panels have gone down and their efficiency has shot up. So they've become probably one of the cheapest ways of making electricity full stop. Not renewable electricity, electricity. You know? Take coal or nuclear or whatever. It's far more expensive to make electricity from these traditional methods than using just a solar panel because they're, they're mass produced now on such a high scale that they become really, really cheap to manufacture. It's not and their a space efficiency issue. is really good. It's not a space issue with solar panels, right? Because you can just put those on top of your home. It doesn't add space or take up space. I know I've heard ideas of people putting them like in parking lots or fields, having a whole thing of solar panels. Is it just a matter of the technology that we have to be able to conduct that energy? Just it doesn't supply as much as what we really need. So it kind of comes from an aspect of not trying to think about cutting off one and adding another. It's about using it in tandem and finding a way to switch off at some point. Yeah, it's, it's not a simple, for example, you know, a cloud comes in the way and then they, they stop working, right? They produce energy when the sun is out. You know? The sun sets at nighttime. You're not going to have energy during the nighttime unless you store it. So these technologies that I'm talking about, renewable technologies, wind as well, you can have days where the wind is really stale. You need to have them coupled with some other energy transforming technology that can store that energy or convert it into a different form of energy that's really long lasting and people are talking a lot about why don't we use this excess electricity that we're making from renewables why don't we use that to make fuels fuels are the problem like we're putting them in our trucks our ships our cars our planes and that's making a heck of a lot of co2 emissions that's causing climate change and again power stations are making a lot of emissions co2 emissions because we, we use coal natural gas whatever we burn it to make steam, to drive these turbines, to make electricity. What if we just use a lot of renewables instead and then make fuels and then use these fuels to power our cars, ships, and planes? We can do that. We have the technology. Problem is right now, it's just, it's more expensive. It's cheaper, much cheaper to pump oil out of the ground to dig for it than to you know, buy these solar panels and buy these converting technologies to convert the electricity into fuels. That's more expensive right now, between five to 10 times more expensive. But with the amount of the right amount of investment and tech development, economies of scale, it will eventually become cheaper. It's the same with anything. Solar cells, you know, in the, in the 1960s, for example, no one thought that they were ever going to be as big as they are today because their efficiencies were really poor and they were really expensive to make back then. But we figured out cheaper ways of doing it. That's what we need to do. We just need to figure it out. 
would it be smarter to start it in an area that does get a lot of exposure to sunlight? Like in certain places in the States, you would have like Arizona or something like that. But I know people from Seattle will bring up the question of like, it always is cloudy here. There's no way we're going to get sunlight, which I mean, eventually we're going to get to a point where we are able to put solar panels and find a better way to convert this energy. We can just put them on planes and then we can get these things that fly above the clouds and go even closer to the sun in some aspects to be able to absorb the light even better. I mean, it's just about, it is about, and this is with every single renewable energy is about trying to just funnel the research. Now, you know, a lot of talk whenever you bring up a renewable It'll be like, well, we can't do that because then it's going to be this and this and this. It's like we that's at the point we're at right now. But if we keep just stopping at right now, we're never going to get to what's going to be like in five years if we invest that time into that energy uh, production. I know what you're saying about location. So you know, some places don't get as much sunlight as others. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be you're not going to get a return on your investment. It might just take you longer. That, for example, you know, there could be a really sunny place. An incredibly sunny place and you think okay if i buy these solar panels it's going to cost me x amount of money maybe in five to ten years i'll get that money back because of the energy it will generate for me and you, you mentioned seattle maybe it will take you 10 years or 15 years but you will eventually get your money back for these things it doesn't from my understanding it doesn't even in london which is it's not as sunny as most places it's still one of the cheapest ways of making electricity is using solar panels compared to the other methods i told you before like it's maybe twice as cheap as compared to say nuclear power. And that's in London. I mean, it's not notoriously a sunny place in the UK. It's very rainy too. So it depends. It, you know, for example, in your, in your location, if it's particularly windy, it might be more beneficial to invest in wind, wind energy. It just depends on the situation, right? So I, I, I'm not gonna sit there and say, no, just use solar panels in sunny places that are very, you know, desert-like or whatever, or arid, they work everywhere. They just work better in places that are sunnier. I, I look at it like to get the public used to something. Typically, people don't like two things. They don't like to have to do a lot of work to be able to do that thing. Like I find if you just go, like I, I have a buddy, solar panels all over his house because he was incentivized by our state that we're going to pay you some money or give you a tax break. If you put solar panels on your roof and you know, they're on his roof. He never sees them. He doesn't bother with it. And he gets the energy that he needs for, you know, he's seeing an energy uh, cost for his house go down um, because of the solar panels. And then also people don't like to see it. That's the thing is like, if it blends in with the roof, that's why a lot of them, like the color blends right in with the black top of their roof. Most roofs are black, at least in the United States or in the area that I'm in. Wind turbines, my town wanted to build wind turbines. They wanted wind energy off the coast. As soon as the idea was, I guess, brought out there that we're going to build them two miles off the coast, people go, but my view. And then next thing you know, we stopped doing wind turbine energy. And that com that discussion has completely died. That's why if you look at any of our oil consumptions and a lot of things, they happen to be in other countries as well, too, because people don't like to see that happen where they are, where I go. I mean, me, I would be like, look, if we're doing it, we all agree. We all have iPhones in our pocket. We all have all this type of stuff. They're not made in the best probably situations. But if you're willing to maybe pay a couple extra dollars, I know people hate that idea. But if you're going to do something that in turn, it's the agreement. The agreement is you have to kind of go through a little bit of pain. Your kids might have to go through a little bit of pain, but your grandkids are going to have a great future. 
that sales pitch is hard for people to swallow. And it, it, I feel like if it's just slow adjustments, like eventually over time, everyone got used to gas prices right now. It's almost like six bucks. People complain about it still, but now you don't really remember. Like when it goes from six to $5, you go, oh my God, thank God. Six was way too much. It's like, yeah, but before it was like three. So you're happy that it's five now. So you just adjust. You just got to, it takes that time period, that that kind of like lulling them into the adjustment phase. Yeah. You speak you speak about, you know, the price of things going up. It's going to be an economic burden to implement these technologies 100%. The thing is what the government needs to do in, in all of these countries that implement these technologies, they need to make sure it's difficult but they need to make sure that the poorest people in that country are not the one, ones that are burdened the most. They're the ones that are burdened the least. And the wealthiest people in the country, they're the ones that are burdened the most because it won't affect them. You know, they're millionaires already. It doesn't matter that they have to pay a few extra thousand more. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt them at all. But that's the thing. Are, we, are the governments doing that? That's well, the that's, real question. That's controversial. Yeah, but we need to we need to make sure that it's just that this transformation from how we're currently doing things in an unsustainable way to something that's more sustainable is is just. And you speak about you know people not liking wind power because it affects their views. Maybe it creates some some unwarranted noise. I, I get that. I get that people don't want to be inconvenienced by these technologies. So there needs to be a middle ground. Though we can't just say no because there's some slight inconvenience at the end of the day the inconvenience of climate change is going to be far worse if we don't do anything about it the implications are crazy so we talk about you talk about a coastline there having uh, wind turbines on the coastline now imagine climate change keeps happening at the rate it's happening and sea levels start to rise right which they will because the polar ice caps are going to melt they're going to be not just the polar ice, but ice on land as well is going to melt. And that's the biggest problem, actually. So ice on, for example, on Greenland, where there's ice on actual land and that starts melting, that's more of a problem. I'll get to that in a second. But then that's going to make the sea levels rise. And the coastline, you know, people could live on the coastline and say, I don't want to see turbines. But, you know, 10, 10 20 years down the line, your house is going to be underneath the water anyway. So who cares? You know what I mean? So you need to be, every, everyone needs to see the, the bigger picture here, okay? There's a lesser evil that we have to accept or we're going to get something far worse, which is sea levels massively increasing, temperatures getting really excessive, heat waves more excessive, forest fires happening more often. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy if we don't do anything about it. If CO2 levels keep on going up and up and up and we don't make them necessarily the necessary changes to our lifestyles. I'm with you. I'm all, I'm I'm always in on the long game. I always look at the long aspect of things. But what I'm talking about is the way to adjust people to a situation to be more accepting of this type of you know these ideas of building turbines off the coast, even though it's going to obstruct their views. They have to be introduced to this technology already. And I always bring up the aspect of like what you, your example of solar energy. You know, being able to eliminate particles in someone's house. If you just suggest you put solar panels on your roof, oh, I don't want to do that because it's not going to be enough energy and what happens if it's cloudy, then you could just go, you already have them there eliminating particles in your house. You don't even know that. And then they go, what, really? 
And the next thing you know, they start being acceptant of the energy production or the idea of whatever this um, invention is. And we have more research into it now because then sooner or later, it'll be the majority of people that have this type of thing that's eliminating particles inside of their house. You're right. I mean, pe people fear what they don't know normally. <laughs> that's, that's, that's human nature. Right? We can't change that. And you're right that if, if, uh, if the information gets out there, if more people make the plunge, so you said your friend, he got solar panels on his roof. If he goes next to his neighbor and he says, oh, I've saved this much money because of these solar panels, his neighbor's going to say, what? Yeah. Really? I want to do the same. I want to save money because, you know, things are expensive these days. So I think people's positive experience using these technologies, um, I think it's going to go a long way. What? How much weight do you put in the technology of using solar energy, I would say, to be able to eliminate particles in water. Yeah, that, that's people working on that a lot. So people do that in, in, a, in a, not using sunlight, but water companies do that anyway, right? So when they purify wastewater and turn it into drink, drinking water, normally one step of their process is to use really high powered UV lights um, they're dangerous for us, but if you shine it just on the water, you destroy any, uh, you know, for example, uh, any germs or viruses that might be present in the water. You just completely kill them using the really harsh UV light. And the water becomes, that's one way of cleaning the water. That won't get rid of the heavy, heavy metal ions or whatever. They have to do other steps, but to get rid of biological threats yeah, per se that we could drink and then get sick from, they normally just used either chemical oxidants or they use really harsh UV light. So it's already done by the companies, but these harsh UV light sources that they use, they're powered by electricity, electricity comes from the power stations, it costs energy. What I'm saying is you know, this, these types of photocatalytic technologies, what if you had a pipe that went out, out of your factory and sunlight was beating down on it and you had these photocatalysts that did the job for you? You wouldn't need to spend all that money on these high-powered UV lights. And that's one technology that my, my group are, are, is working on, many research groups are working on, is we, we can save water companies money on their energy bills, and that actually helps the planet. That's one very simple way of doing it. And yes, we, it could be for water companies, but it can either be for even be for people in the third world. So if we make really cheap sort of powder-based photocatalytic technology that we could then send to the third world um, in really simple sort of water filter contraptions. They could just fill it up with their dirty water, put it on their roofs, these bottles, for example, let the sun be down on it for a few hours and do a little quick check that makes sure that it's uh, not polluted anymore, safe to drink. So you can make safe, safe drinking water accessible to people as well. Is it simple as like being able to put some of those materials inside of like a stainless steel or some type of water bottle, something that does conduct a little bit of heat and have that light, I would say, be able to, you know, evaporate some of the issues without exposing your face or anything. It just contains the inside of the bottle. So where someone could store water in there and then have it clean for them to be able to drink, let's say in a less impoverished country or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So normally it would be some kind of transparent medium. So like a glass bottle or a plastic bottle. Um, that that could then contain this this catalyst inside. That's one cheap technology that people are working on that could really make 
big benefits in the third world. Which they, you look, you look on the news and you see all the time. One of the biggest problems uh, in the third world is access to clean water. So if you just improve this, for us, we just take it for granted. We turn on tap, we have water. But some of these people have to walk miles to get access to clean water. If we just make it easier for people to get access to clean water using simple technologies, which might, on our end, developing these photocatalysts might take hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment or, or maybe even more. But at the end of the day, it's about doing something, doing th something that be benefits the worldwide community. It's not necessarily that we have to sell on these technologies for a high premium. It could be something charitable that we, we can do as a collective. Whereas more for like water companies or municipal companies that, that clean water, then you can make a more expensive technology where you can start to, okay, we invested this much in the research, we need to make, make, it, make it back. So it could be something like that. Is there any other aspects that this can be used for besides water purification and maybe? Uh, it's, it's, there's so much scope. Photocatalysts. They really, it's a lot of scope. I'm so, understanding yeah. it a little bit more. I have no, I still can't pronounce the word though. <laughs> yeah, because there are so many different materials that can do it, for example. Uh, these, the, the materials that do it, they're called semiconductors. You've, got, you've probably heard of semiconductors. They're, they're used in, in solar panels. So you, you normally have silicon as a semiconductor that can convert solar energy into electrical energy. But silicon as a photocatalyst, it's not so great because if you put silicon in water, it starts to oxidize and it makes silicon oxide, which is a bit like sand. So it turns back into sand, which is not good. But uh, there are other materials that are more stable in water that can, that can absorb light and drive these chemical processes. I mentioned purifying the air, purifying water. It can also be used as antimicrobial surfaces. So what one uh, aspect of my research that we're working on is can these be used as surfaces that can kill the coronavirus? So working with some microbiologists uh, that do that kind of work, we're making these surfaces, we're sending it to them and they're doing the testing. So we're trying to develop, um, we're just testing different types of semiconductors and trying to understand well, which ones are good for killing particular types of viruses and where could they be applied? Could they be applied in hospitals where you know, COVID is a big problem and it's spreading in hospitals? I, I know people that have died because they've gone to hospital with another condition and they've caught COVID in the hospital, getting treatment for that other condition and it just pushes them over the edge and they can't survive. And COVID, as far as people, people don't want to believe it, but COVID is here to stay, unfortunately. Careful with the COVID talk just because YouTube takes it down. <laughs> okay, apologies. Uh, but do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Call it it's milk a, or something, I don't care. Just call, it, <laughs> call it something else. So milk is here to stay. <laughs> You can blank out what I've said later, but, but, but it's, it's, it's a big problem, right? So nosocomial viruses, not just what I said, but any type of virus is a big problem. And people go in with cancers or pneumonia or any kind of other problem, and they catch something else. It just pushes them over the edge. Their body just can't take on all of, all of these problems at once. But if you can make the hospital a safer place or care homes where old people live, anywhere or just public places that require high levels of hygiene by making these surfaces self-cleaning and antimicrobial. Why not? You can do it. And photocatalysts can do that. Well, I would definitely invest a lot more money into being able to get rid of some of these harsh contaminants that we're exposed to on a daily basis without knowing. 
Um, mostly I'm scared of phthalates, uh, the amount of plastic that's in our blood just from our massive use of plastic consumption. I don't think we have technology to be able to reverse what's happening, but the fertility count has dropped from like 97% for my great grandparents to 40 something percent that it is today. And it's an issue and it's not, we're not, we're, we're focused on it now. We're now knowing about it, which is like, we're raising the red flags on it, but still there's not a whole lot of, uh, researchers, I would say that are focused on trying to figure out technology of it. There's specific ones. I've had some on the show that talk about it, but these are issues. And these are things like you said, we, we talked off air about when we pick a renewable energy, or we pick about something, everything has a risk to it, but it's about weighing out what those risks are. And it doesn't mean necessarily that it means about cutting off or changing these types of aspects. We just have to start doing something. And actually, it's where I, I want to talk to you. You talked about carbon emissions, being able to use them as energy. How, how do you do something like that? You just, you just reverse it back to what it was before, and that costs energy. So photocatalysts can do that too. I, I, it feels like I've made up this silver bullet that can solve everything. I haven't got a silver bullet that can solve everything. Everything has its limitations. Yeah? For example, I say photocatalysts can be used to make fuel. So we can take carbon dioxide emissions and maybe reduce them back to make methanol or methane or something like that, okay? People working on that and it's possible. We have technologies that can do that. The question is how efficiently can we do it? Um, and how much will these devices cost and how long will these devices last for? And when we put all of these factors into play, it, the device just becomes too expensive compared with just getting methane from the ground. You know, it's, it's all it's all a trade-off, right? If, if I can get it much cheaper doing it a traditional way, why should I do it in this expensive, fancy green way, which costs 10 times as much? Companies are not going to do it unless governments say there's a massive penalty now for carbon dioxide emissions, but huge, you know, benefits that we're going to sponsor you if you start to do things in a green way, you know? If they, if they, if governments make those difficult decisions, which will be benefit for the future of future generations, then companies will start to change how they practice. But it's not going to happen until legislation's in place, unfortunately, because it's just far too cheap to do it in the traditional way that we've been doing hundreds of years. But as I said, you can use photocatalysts, the right types of photocatalysts. They have the right energetics within them to convert carbon dioxide, reduce it back down to maybe methane or methanol or, or sometimes even larger chain carbons, ethanes and things like that. We can do that. We just, we're working on that. We've been working on those technologies for like since the 1970s when people realized that you can take water, okay? And you can use a photocatalyst and you can make hydrogen fuel and oxygen, okay? That's called water splitting. Okay. And we've known about water splitting like 150 years at least, like since we've developed electrolysis. And that's how we, one way in which we make hydrogen as a fuel. So we use hydrogen a lot. Okay. Uh, people don't talk about it much, but we use it a lot. Without hydrogen, we wouldn't be able to support the 8 billion people on the planet because we take water, for example, that's one way we do it. Another way, the way that we mostly do it, again, is from methane, which is really dirty. Yeah. But we, you can either take methane and react it with steam, and then you get hydrogen, or you can take water itself and split it apart using electricity. 
and you get hydrogen and oxygen. In that hydrogen, you can then react it with nitrogen and you can make fertilizer. And it's this fertilizer that farmers use worldwide to get really high crop yields. Okay. And without fertilizer, we would not be able to sustain the planet, the amount of uh, mouths we have to feed on the planet today without fertilizer. And that all stems from hydrogen. And, and that's another aspect of my, my research. I'd say that's the main aspect of my research is how do we make hydrogen in a more clean way so that then this hydrogen can then be used, which is used in lots of different sectors, hydrogen, but mostly in making fertilizers. And how can we make green hydrogen that will support the planet in a, in a sustainable way? I'm not mistaken, but you can use hydrogen to power your car as well too, right? If we can get to technology like that. Okay. Yeah, of course. A lot of car companies are selling this technology. Now, it's quite popular in Europe. I'd say it's very popular in, in Germany. It's quite popular in, in Japan. Some countries are really big on this technology. Uh, they, they, they see the benefits more than electrically powered vehicles, for example, because on a single recharge using hydrogen, the car can go a much greater distance than electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, the batteries are relatively heavy. So you can maybe only do a few hundred miles tops, but but with hydrogen, it can do a lot more. So because recharge times are instantaneous and you can go much further distance because of convenience, some countries are really big on this and promoting it. And it's clean, like you know, it, de it depends how you where you get the hydrogen from, but when you burn that hydrogen in your in your engine or as a fuel cell, it burns cleanly to water vapor. And if that goes into the atmosphere, that's not a problem. Could it be something that could power something larger than a car? Like, could we end up switching, you know, aviation to that aspect of things? Or is there still going to be a supreme dominant, like fossil fuel using for aviation? Aviation is tricky, right? Because my understanding is that, again, I'm not, how uh, do you say, an expert? I'm not an expert either. I'm trying to figure it I'm out. <laughs> in aviation fuel. But from my understanding, from what I've read, that at those altitudes, um, it's difficult to use hydrogen. Okay, um, so it's much more appropriate for for smaller vehicles, and they're they're saying that in terms of like energy density, hydrogen is not great because you have to pressurize it. It's a gas, right? So it's it's energy per unit mass per unit mass is good because for each hydrogen molecule, it's got a lot of energy inside of it. But these hydrogen molecules they repel each other when you try and put them close to each other, and you're like, okay. I'm going to store my hydrogen in this vessel. The hydrogen molecule is all saying, I don't want to be close to you. I repel you. So you have to squish them really hard for them to stay put. And that costs energy itself, of course. But then you have a pressurized medium. And I think for planes, that's one concern. Also, the altitudes at which planes fly, I don't think it's easy to get hydrogen to work as a jet fuel. So what people are saying is, you know, it's fine. We, we can use that hydrogen to make jet fuel. We take hydrogen, we take CO2, we react them at the, in the, under the right conditions, and we can make jet fuel. So to every problem, there is a sustainable solution, no doubt. Chemists, they know most of the ways to do it already. I'm a chemist, by the way. Chemists know most of the ways in which it can be done. The question is, can we do it cheaply enough? And it's really hard to com compete with industries that have been established for decades in terms of the cost element, right? And th there's no way we're going to suddenly pull a rabbit out of the hat and say, oh, we found a, 
this silver bullet I spoke to earlier about that's going to suddenly remedy everything. It's it's not going to be as simple as that. I think we got to think smaller scale, though. I think when we talk about giant, your fight, it's basically fighting an industry that's been around since like the industrial revolution. So you got to really look at an examination of where can we just have maybe a smaller company, not as big, be able to follow suit. And then the kind of once the technology keeps increasing because of these smaller companies, a smaller company that could just be someone installing things onto somebody's house and then more technology gets funneled there. And the next thing you know, it'll be end up being cheaper in the long run. And then big business will eventually adopt those methods. But right now it's, it's way too easy for big business to pay for a fine of waste management when it comes to exposing people and dumping harsh chemicals into people's waters where that's where my focus starts to become is where I start going, what are we being exposed to? We're being exposed to a lot. And I know necessarily we don't know exactly hundred percent of what is happening. And I go, if you really want like people to jump on board is let them know that like, Hey, your fertility count is 47 compared to the- that's a shocking thing for a lot of people. And then if you start looking at that ass, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking from a marketing aspect, how would we get a lot of more people to jump on? Cause I, I get the thing of like your grandchildren, they'll have a future. I get that a hundred percent, but for a lot of people, it sucks when they're in the moment right now. And it's very, very difficult, which it brings up to the thing of fossil fuels and electric cars. I don't trust electric cars either. I don't, I mean, I drive a gas car, but I just, I wish we had more options. I wish there was more, but there's always this, like, we're going to cut you off of this and we're going to move on to this. I get in some cases that has to happen, but if you really want the general public to agree and have this consensus of, okay, yeah, eventually we're going to be there. You have to give them a little bit more options than that. Cause I mean, some scenarios, other people don't trust certain things and that might be media. I mean, media in the beginning was always slamming Tesla's. I've talked to people about autonomous vehicles on my show before, and they talk about the horrible onslaught with uh, Tesla cars. Now you have people that go, I don't trust the electric car. I don't trust it. It'll explode while I'm in it. That might not be true, but that's what was shown in the beginning. And then now people have doubts and I go, we really can't shoot ourselves in the foot anymore. And if you talk about using something that's in our atmosphere right now that we're having an issue with when it comes to warming the planet, and we can use that as an energy, how do we do that at the same time without adding more in there through energy expenditure to produce that. And this is where the conversation should evolve to in the general public. So people can get better ideas about stuff. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are trying to solve this issue. And you're you're right in saying that every idea right now, it shouldn't be to compete against the status quo because you're not, you're not going to win that battle, right? It should be something niche that you can implement that it's going to make, positive influence and once all of these niche technologies that are all within that remit that space um, come together eventually or take over right it's just going to take time you used to find a way a foothold of getting getting your foot in the door and saying look look at this technology look what it can do it's interesting and that's why i think photocatalysts are really interesting because photocatalysts like i said they can produce fuels like hydrogen from water just very clean very sustainable it's, this, this utopian vision of having a really clean society just based on this water cycle where water becomes hydrogen, hydrogen becomes water. It's so clean, we don't have to worry about emissions. Two thirds of the planet's covered in water. Let's just go with that. Like, that's a great idea in principle. Right? But if, we, if it's more expensive than the status quo, then you're not gonna make that vision happen overnight. You might need to start by saying, well, photocatalysts, maybe I can, like I said to you, 
I put them on Windows for that. And some companies are already doing that. I would say Japan are probably at the fore forefront of photocatalytic technologies being used for purifying the environment. Those guys have developed photocatalytic tiles, photocatalytic concretes, photocatalytic paints. Photocatalytic yeah. paints? How do you get a photocatalytic paint? You just put these little photocatalysts, you just incorporate them within your paint and they function. So you just paint your house and it has small particles like micron, micron or nano sized particles of your photocatalyst, which does the job. It absorbs the sunlight, breaks down the toxins. So your paint can, 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 can purify the air. Yeah. Science. Science. I'm just. I'm just like. It's weird to me. Why is Japan is like the main? Is that because their pollution is so bad over there? One country is always the first to lead the way. They have a lot of intelligent scientists there. The 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 scientists that I I said to you before that you know water spitting happened in the 1970s with where it was discovered that photocatalysts could convert water into hydrogen fuel. It was a couple of Japanese guys, Fukushima and Honda, that came up with that, this idea. So in terms of this, this birth of this idea of using photocatalysts, they're at the forefront of it. They've been one of the forefront. Okay, yeah, we have fantastic scientists all over the world working on this problem. It's just that in Japan, they've been more proactive in how do we translate this research we've been doing for a lot of, lot of time now, several decades, how do we translate it into some commercial products? And like I said, lots of even filters like so air, air filters that you have in the house so air purifiers these days they're based on two different types of technologies either you have like a carbon filter that just absorbs all the toxins and keeps all the toxins inside of it or you have a photocatalyst that inside of your filter has a little light source that irradiates the, the photocatalyst it passes the air over it purifies the air so you have air purifiers now that, again, use photocatalytic technology. There's lots of technologies out there. And as the photocatalytic market improves over time, it grows. People become more accustomed to this. We'll start to find more niche and interesting ways of using photocatalysts. I mentioned antimicrobial surfaces, cleaning our waters. Eventually, it'll move on to let's make fuels of this stuff. People have been working on that for a long time. And the efficiencies will eventually creep up and it will actually be able to start to do it. You were mentioning things besides paint before I accidentally cut you off because um, I was just shocked. Uh, what other technologies are they using in Japan with this type of material? Yeah, it's not just the Japan. There's lots of countries that are using this technology. Sorry for the confusion. It's, it's not just them, but they're, they're one of the world leaders, I would say, in developing this technology and implementing it. And, and like I mentioned before, you have photocatalytic concretes. So... An Italian company is at the forefront of developing that. They're called Ital Cementi. And they've actually built an entire church out of this self-cleaning concrete. It's called the Jubilee Church in Rome. It's, it's a beautiful looking church, to be honest. And uh, it's got this concrete that is, is self-cleaning so that the, the concrete keeps itself a nice, brilliant white color. But at the same time, it's re removing the amount of NOx and VOCs that's in the air surrounding that building over time, it's keeping the air clean. So in cities, if we start to implement these types of technologies more in our windows, tiles, paints, cements, even asphalts, people developing them for road surfaces, we can have really clean cities. And we won't have to worry so much about you know, traffic 
uh, that's creating air pollution. It still is a concern, and we shouldn't just ignore it, but we'll start to tackle it a lot more, and it'll be less of a concern. This might sound like a dumb question, but it would be possible to implement like that type of technology on into cars or onto cars, the ones that we have now, like an add-on, like people can put a filter over something, but can you do that to maybe reduce fumes in a sense and be able to at least reduce some carbon emissions without causing the car to explode? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure about the carbon emissions, uh, but but certainly with 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 NOx emissions, that cars already have technology to deal with that. They're called auto catalysts. Have you have you heard about them? They're in the exhaust of your car. Um, I'm new. But it's, I'm new to it. Yeah, you're new. So I mean, cars already have technology to try and reduce the amount of pollution they're emitting from the exhaust, but they just don't do it perfectly. That's the problem, right? So if they didn't have these auto catalysts. Which are really expensive, actually. They use they're called platinum group metals. I think you're probably aware that platinum is very expensive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So these catalysts, they're in everyone's car, by the way. Um, that's why exhausts are not cheap because they have auto catalysts inside of them, and they, at a high temperature that the car operates at, when the pollution goes through the auto catalysts, it it, re it reduces a lot of these NOx gases back to the nitrogen it already started as, right? So the problem starts in the engine of the car. You have nitrogen and oxygen in your engines and you're, you're, bur you're burning your fuels, right? Your carbon-based fuels. And unfortunately, at the temperatures that your engine operates at, which are quite high temperatures, maybe 800 degrees Celsius, I don't know Fahrenheit, sorry, then that, that might make some NOx gas, or it will make some NOx gas. Where, Nitrogen in the air, which is normally really inert, but at those extremely high temperatures, it becomes active. And you make these nitrogen monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, species that would normally not be produced. Uh, not too often naturally, maybe you get them in volcanoes and things like that, but not too often on the planet they're produced naturally, right? Uh, we're producing them a lot. Like in terms of um, people emitting, NOx, it's far more from people than natural causes because we're burning a lot of fuels, unfortunately. But cars try and tackle that using their auto catalysts, but they don't do it perfectly well. But then as a sort of secondary measure, our buildings and other surfaces around us, they can, they can be used to tackle that. So when you talk about roads being made of this and cement being made of this, this would in it, it, itself cleaning that even means if someone, you know, decides to like a, a bird craps on it or something like that, it would just be able to eliminate the bacteria. Would it dissolve it or is it? Eventually, I mean, the, things like bird poo, they're not completely transparent. So at first at the edges, at the edges, it would slowly degrade it and it would, it would wash away eventually. So yeah, things like that. So, Let's just come back a, a step. Okay. Now, in the US, in particular, there are a lot of high-rise buildings, aren't they? That's a good amount. In the US, yeah, there's a lot. And it, now the modern style is to have a lot of glass. Okay. These days, how often do you see workers go up cleaning the windows of these buildings? Do you see it much anymore? Not, not in my town, um, but I mean, I see it on films and stuff, I guess. Yeah, it's not, it's not very often. That's mostly because these companies are using this technology already. They're using self-cleaning windows. So that technology is really big, especially for skyscrapers. They don't want to send workers to the top of a skyscraper to clean it anymore. So they're just like, I'll pay the extra markup 
compared to a traditional window, I'll get a self-cleaning window that has a photocatalyst on it. And I won't have to worry about my skyscraper anymore. It'll just clean itself for most of the time. And maybe once in a blue moon, you need to clean it. Definitely not as frequently. So you don't have to worry about things like bird poo or whatever, because it's self-cleaning. And it's already everywhere. It's, people just don't talk about it so much. It's a big market. Like this is, I'm talking about a billion dollar industry, more than a billion dollar industry, like this, the self-cleaning window market. What I'm trying to do is make these coatings way more effective. So we've tested some of like the, um, I guess you would say state of the art self-cleaning materials, uh, window materials in my lab for how well do they get rid of NOx pollution? And they're just terrible. They're good at get, getting rid of like simple things, like you said, like just stains. Like they're okay at getting rid of stains, but how to tackle NOx pollution? They're not so good. And the problem is, NOx pollution is really, really dilute. We're talking about parts per billion that we normally get in the air. So maybe parts per million if you're in somewhere really polluted. So for every million molecules of, a, of gas in the air, you know, oxygen, nitrogen floating around, one in a million is this naughty toxic molecule that if you breathe it in, it causes all kinds of problems really really reduces your lifespan lots of problems and to tackle something so that dilute is, is is difficult and that's what we're trying to do in my lab could this be something that could be implemented in something that could make things more biodegradable as well too like we i mean in paper bags they apparently biodegrade uh, better than plastics do where i start going i mean how could we use this type of technology to handle waste management as well too i have to think after a while that it would be i mean if it can eliminate things that we can't see how hard is it i mean it's probably going to take some time but to be able to eliminate things that we can see not necessarily i'm not talking about a death ray but i'm just talking about getting rid of a lot of the stuff that we have here that isn't degrading as fast as well either oh we should we should get you on the team Robbie. Working, working with us in my lab. That's a really good idea. I mean, wh why shouldn't we incorporate some of these photocatalysts into plastic bags that people are just going to throw away? It just goes on the, you know, the, the how do you say, the landfill heap, and, and eventually it will get into our waters, and eventually it will get into our fish, and eventually it will get into our tummies. You know, we need to get rid of this stuff, right? So photocatalysts, yeah, they can be used to help break down the plastics in the bag. Of course they can. So it's a good idea you've just had. I, I've not seen that. I, I don't know if there's a market product. I can't tell already, if you're but... messing with me because I don't have a science no. or a PhD degree. <laughs> I'm not saying that you've just solved it outright because, you know, there are other issues to think about. Well, what about if the photocatalyst gets into the water stream? Is that good or bad? It depends. It depends on the photocatalyst you're using. Okay. Well, there's a... But it's a, it's a solution you've just presented. I think because I, I mean, I, I mean, I look at it like the example of like using a street sweeper. It, we know there's trash out there. So you make something that's able to help clean up a lot of this trash, help clean the streets in a sense as well, too, where you start going. We have a lot of plastic bag issues. We have a lot of waste issues. What's a way we can develop something that just over time, maybe at a faster rate, helps speed up the process of being able to degrade some of this material even if it makes the material if we start implementing it now i mean people are not going to stop using plastic bags and some areas are trying to cut down and switching to paper well with the material that we're pumping out now why don't we try incorporating this into that material to be able to make sure that when we do produce waste that eventually that's going to end up catching up where you just see maybe over a 10 year 15 year period 
we're starting to see the the payment from what we implemented into the thing. I think that's a, a lot of stuff is like this is return on investment idea. Like a lot of people just don't want to make the cost now, but I mean, it is that idea of just what happens if you're going to get more in the long run. I mean, we don't think about it, it but it's also, you really can't just get, you can't ask the public like, Hey, we're going to, do you think we should do this? It's going to cost a little bit more. I mean, if the price goes up because you're running out of plastic bags or plastic bags are low, they don't know why, but they got to pay more and they're upset about it. They're going to be upset over the change whatsoever, just adjusting to it. We saw it with the pandemic during mass. How many people adjusted to that? I mean, there's ideas, UV lights that were being used. People were buying to help get rid of um, what they thought was coronavirus on their hands or something like that. I go, I mean, everything can be sales pitched in a way that people can understand it and receive it. And a lot of times people just don't want to know that it changed. I mean, if you say, hey, did you know that water bottle you're using is using these types of chemicals or using these types of things that's actually helping eliminate bacteria? You're like, huh, I just thought it was a regular cup at a diner and you're like nope it's actually doing something for you it's actually healthy and like cool and then they just go back to drinking it yeah but like i said i think people will be pleasantly surprised about how many useful technologies are out there that can really benefit our lives i just don't think people know enough about that enough about the the array the arsenal of amazing things that we already know how to do we're just not doing because we're so used to the way that we're doing it now. People think, well, if it's not broken, don't fix it, just stick with the old way. But they don't look, like I said, in the long game. We really need to look at the long game. Now, ever since I've had children now, I've got a daughter and a son, I just think, I can't stop thinking about the long game because I don't want to pass away and then think, you know what, the world that they're inheriting, it's, it's more dangerous, it's gonna be more difficult for them. I don't want to, I know I'm just one guy, there's not much that I can do. I'm just doing the best I can, essentially, trying to make the world a more positive place, not just through science, but through how, how I behave and how I treat others as well. I think that's really important too. So for me, I think it's part of the process of, of being a human being. I'm not saying everyone has children or has to have children to have this epiphany. It just happened in, in me, per se, when I had children, I started thinking about it. But just, just to think about the legacy, the human race and what we leave behind, I think that's really important to try and leave it, leave it in a more positive way. I think we can't just look for one solution to everything like we've always done. I think that's the reason why we still use fossil fuels. I get it because all our technology is designed that way, and it's going to be hard to take that transition. But it does. I think the way we think of it is usually how medicine thinks of things, how everything has always thought of things, which is torch the fields type methods if things don't work out. You know, we we do have this like some a bottle a Tylenol could say take one. People usually take like two or three. You know, it's just about us as people. We usually like to overindulge a little bit. Necessarily, it's not so much, but we do like to do a little bit more than what is recommended. And I go, I mean, if you recommend something, people would probably shoot lower on, especially something when it comes to changing their everyday routine, where I go, it doesn't have to be every single business falling in line. You just need the essential few. And I think there's people out there that do that. I know um, the Arizona Tea Company, um, they produce these $1 can teas. They could have upped their price with everybody else when the inflation increased, but they kept their price a dollar. And are they losing more money? Well, yeah, they're losing a good amount of money, but it was a thing when they started the company. It's two brothers started a company with their dad. 
And you start realizing it's like, maybe everyone doesn't have those types of values, but eventually that'll become the majority. If you start getting people that follow suit, just like that, I think um, I've always brought up the example. It's like, how are you going to get China to change their energy policy? And it's like, well, we can't really think about like that either. Like I'm starting to realize you got to kind of think of like, we do have to follow suit, but also I want to make sure we're doing it effectively as well too. I don't think a hundred percent cutoff is the right answer. I think we need to find a way to wean off of things. You need, we need slow adjustments and necessarily there is a time thing we have to worry about, but every, like I said, every conversation boils down to this idea of all the bad stuff and all the controversial and all this type of stuff. And I go, we got to really get past that because right now we're staying in place and we're just doing a lot of throwing our hands up in the air at this point. I'm not saying researchers aren't doing things, but I'm saying the general like businesses and everything is kind of just like, yeah, you know, don't I pay a, a, a million dollars a year to some environmental thing? It's like, yeah, but are you watching where that money's going? Like, it might not just be about tearing down a rainforest. It might just be like maybe adding this certain thing to your product to actually help in the long run when it comes to energy usage. Yeah, you touched on a lot of really interesting things there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I with say? you. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you're with me. That's great. Uh, it, it's, 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 you've asked some really difficult questions there. Like, why are we not making the changes we need to make? Faster? Business, business. Yeah. yeah, of course. It's strange, right? Because um, I'm an outsider looking in to the US where you live. And, you know, your, your, your previous president, President Trump, saying things like, Climate change is clean coal. Clean coal. <laughs> he said a lot of interesting things, <laughs> but essentially, he said climate change was was false and that was a hoax, and that shocked me because you know if you look at the some of the foremost scientists in the world trying to understand climate change and develop technologies to combat climate change, some of the best scientists are in the US, right? And he essentially said that climate change is all made up. And it's so confusing, this, this difference between politics and what's actually happening in science. You know, take Princeton, Harvard, the MIT, some of the best universities in the world that you know, people would cut their arm off to work at because it's so good. Like the, the science, the knowledge, everything, amazing. But there's such a disconnect between what's coming out of the scientists' mouths and what's coming out of the politicians' mouths. Uh, there needs to be a lot more uh, harmony there. Otherwise, we will not make any progress on this topic, unfortunately. I've talked to everybody about climate when it comes to people, actually scientists in it and people who are skeptics of it, people who are deniers of it, people who call themselves realists of it. I mean, I like to call myself a realist. I just I don't get to the point where I say it's I don't know how much human consumption or change is. I don't think it's 100 percent like some people like to think. I think we do play a factor, though, and I do think it's a big one. But I just bring it to the point of everyone agrees on one thing. When we talk about this, when we get to this point, a lot of where the distrust starts to fall is where it's been like the Earth's going to die tomorrow. And that's not researchers faults. That's media. It's the way it's always sent. And I get it. I understand it as people. We're not long-term people. We're not good at a problem that's solved over a long period of time. We're fourth quarter people. That means if you say that you're going to die tomorrow, everyone starts following suit. We're redliners. That's always how it is. You don't go to the doctor unless you're bleeding from your ears or your nose or something like that. 
and it's a really crappy way that it was it's it's been kind of set in this way and then somehow it's got linked in with politics where it's just like we got to kind of like be able to talk about things whether everyone disagrees on what source or whatever it has to be conversation is the most beneficial tool and if you're really looking at future generations we can't just leave them with this idea of like oh well there was a bunch of debates about it in the past but everyone just argued at different types of meetings and things and nobody got anything across and it's it's not just one side it's every single side it's very very complicated topic once i started diving into it but i think it can be it can be rationally explained i mean you explained it to me your work and everything as well too and i had no idea about any of these types of materials that were out there but i mean that's the point i mean i'm also seeking out the knowledge or seeking out the wisdom and seeking out the information and i think you'll have more people doing that but it's just about making that an option making that something that people can come in contact with more right now you have people that are doing their routines and living their lives and not really worrying about or coming across any of these problems it's different like a volcanologist i had on the show one time her whole job is staring at a computer screen and just checking the levels and making sure that she knows and she said this to me one day i'm gonna have to go and tell everybody who's lived in this village for 50 years that a volcano's gotta you know is coming and you gotta get your shit and get out you know how hard that's going to be. And it's like, yeah, everyone else doesn't even worry about that. They're worried about what they're going to be having for dinner. They're going to be worried about this. And it's just, it's giving perspective and it's giving insight into problems that you see to someone with me or someone else that might be listening that doesn't see that exact problems from that area of the, just walking out into the world. Everything's right now is either COVID or politics. So it's like, yeah, I know it's the next trend, right? It's always what's trending, which is the problem. And we should be thinking about the big picture all the time. You said something earlier about the Earth's going to die tomorrow. It made me kind of smile because the Earth is not going to die. Like the Earth survived the period of the dinosaurs, where the dinosaurs were the champions of the planet. Right? They ruled the Earth. We just nothing. Won't be here. Yeah, that's the thing. The Earth survived that huge meteorite or whatever hit the Earth. We won't survive it, unfortunately. The Earth will be just fine. It will carry on as it has done for, I think, 4 billion years already. Okay, We need to worry because we are the fragile ones. Okay, We are really fragile. As much as we like to think of how invincible and strong and youthful we are, it's just very small changes to the atmosphere and the planet or whatever will cause huge changes to us, maybe even killing us. But we need to be worried about what's happening to our Earth really really need to be concerned and making the necessary changes to our lifestyles positive impacts that will benefit everyone as as a global community right we need to be thinking about the earth as a whole because when i you know for example i could be wasteful here uh, for example one thing that people do a bit too much that i don't like is they have a thermostat in their house for the winter and they're like i'm going to have it at 20 something degrees all throughout the winter, I'm going to walk around my house in my t-shirt and shorts. It's like, you know what, just turn the thermostat off and just wear a woolly jumper in your house. That's fine. You know, you don't need to be burning gas. What right rich now. people are you talking to? My, <laughs> my freaking grandpa would be like, put on two shirts. It's like, all right, man, I'm already wearing two jackets. <laughs> Listen, but people just don't do that. They like, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to do what I, I can afford it. I work my job already. I just want to do what I want to do. And there's no law that says they can't do that. So they can do what they want. But the things we need to be thinking about, everyone, the whole planet, you know, 
but everyone being wasteful, a little bit wasteful here and there, not just energy waste, food waste, water waste, all of this add up and there's, it has big consequences. There are things that we can all do on an individual basis. Here's an example that a lot of people fall into this trap. I didn't have a car before COVID, okay? And then I thought, I'll buy a car because I need to get my daughter from A they to B They got you, without... didn't they? They got you. That's oh, how no, they did it with the car companies. They left that shit open. Are you kidding me? During pandemic, everything's locked down. They're like, oh, buy a car now. It's like, what? I guess I got, yeah. I, I didn't fall for the trap of advertisement, but I was a bit worried about catching COVID on the bus or the train or whatever, right? Because they were packed. These things were packed because, you know, people had to get around. Not everyone had a car. Now, I was just worried. I, was like, I don't want to get COVID. Got a young baby in the house as well. I don't. I don't want to bring COVID home. Milk. So, yeah, milk home. Sorry. <laughs> so then I went and got got myself a car, and I fell into this trap of, ah, oh, I need to go to the local grocery store. It's only a mile away. I'm going to drive there. I've got two legs. I can walk there just fine, Robbie. But I just became lazy because I have a car. Do you know what I mean? I'm glad I, I don't everyone, drive anywhere. I only go to yeah, work and work's right down the street. Yeah, I know, but everyone falls into that trap. It's so convenient. They're like, oh, it's late. I'm a little bit tired. But then, look, my fault, but I crashed my car and they said, it's a rice off. You have to buy a new one. I thought, oh, I'm not going to buy a new one. COVID's come, coming, coming down now. We have vaccines. I don't really need it anymore. I can survive with public transport. And now it's late at night and I need something from the grocery store. Ah, I don't mind walking. The whole mentality changes because you don't have a car. You like kind said, of fall into that trap of convenience. It's, well, convenience. It's, it's just adjustments, man. People just, they want to make their lives. Like, I don't have any new technology in my house besides the computer and the microphone. Like, I don't have an Alexa. I don't have any of that because I'm just so, I'm a Luddite at heart. I can't really handle technology that much. But once you start realizing like the importance of like, I, it doesn't allow me to get to this point where like my TV can talk to me or all these types of things. And I don't necessarily want it because I don't have it. I've never experienced it. I don't really need it. I mean, I'm sure if I got a Alexa and if I got all these types of things, I never opened it up out of the box when I got one. And it was a good thing too. I was gifted to me. I just re-gifted it. Because if I would have opened it up and then I would have used it a bunch, I would have saw like, oh, I can change my lights with it. I can do these types of things. And it's like, yeah, but then next thing you know, you know, you don't really need that stuff. You're just using it because it's more comfortable and you start to realize the other aspects of your life that gets lazy. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm perfect. I don't do anything wrong. I'm never waste. I'm, I'm, I'm a human. I, I make do a lot of all the time. Just kidding. <laughs> We all make mistakes, right? But we, we know that we can improve. There's always something you can do better. And, and at the institute that I work, work at, so I work at Imperial College in the Department of Chemistry, but one institute that I, I worked at just before moving to chemistry is called the Grantham Institute, okay? It's an institute for climate change and the environment. So the whole purpose of that institute is just to study and understand climate change and develop technologies to, to combat climate change. Uh, so I learned a lot from that institute working there. And they published this document about, I think it's like the seven or so different things that I can do to help um, you know, reduce my, my climate, change, climate change impact. I, I'm going to send you the link. If you're 
comfortable posting that on, on, on the video. I think it'd be really useful for people just to see what are the very simple things I can do to actually make a positive impact? Because a lot of people, they feel lost. That's from the conversations I have. They feel like everything's spiraling out of control. If you look at, I think it's called CO2 Earth, and they, they, they show the CO2 levels over time, and it's just going up and up and up and up. And it, it can cause you anxiety thinking, we're not, we're not collectively as, as humanity doing enough to solve this problem. And it can give people anxiety. But if you actually give them a mechanism, look, there's things that you can do to make a positive impact. I, one of the, the first things you can do is you can lobby your, your local politician. You can hold them accountable for the things that they promise in terms of the green things that they promise before being elected that they said they're going to do. Hold them accountable. Write them letters. Do what you have to do. Or what are the things you can do in your life that, that reduce your climate impact? And there's lots of uh, simple things that you can do there. I think that'd be really useful to share. I'll make sure I link it in the description, but is there a place where people can find your links? Sure. I've got a website. I can give you that too. So you can come come see what I'm up to on my website in terms of my research profile and the, the, the things that I'm working on in terms of photo catalysts. I'll make sure I link those in the description when you send them to me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank.